You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Black Diamond is a proud sponsor of the Enorma Cast. And this year, Black Diamond is presenting The Rock Project, a dynamic program of outreach, media, and activism to bring climbers of all abilities and origins together to protect climbing resources the world over. Climbing is our playground, basically. And we use it, and we should treat it like we treat our house. Pienso que es importante para, para disfrutar de la naturaleza con otros escaladores. This is awesome. This is connecting to the community. This is connecting to nature. Um, I want to go back to that every time. This weekend at the Rock Project, there was a lot of things that I learned. Minimizing your impact, having that be part of the conversation around climbing, along with this is the route I want to do, this is the gear I need. Understanding that I have an impact, that one person has an impact. I think being a responsible user means being aware. Being aware of people around you, being aware of your surroundings, being aware of your impact. I'm leaving no trace and I'm not bothering their surroundings. There are a lot of climbers out there that care, but they don't know how to get involved. And that's where the Rock Project comes in. So go to blackdiamondequipment.com or accessfund.org for more information. We're all in this together. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, yeah, big place. That's, it out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll say, you really should. What the hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a freight end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes. And now, La Sportiva has joined the Enormo Nation as a premier sponsor. And of course, don't forget Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com, enter Enormo at checkout to get a discount on great coffee and to help out the EnormoCast. Please support all of our great sponsors and let them know. That you love them. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Normal Cast. This is your host, Chris Kalus. It is July 22nd, about 9 o'clock Mountain Daylight Time. A listener recently wrote in and corrected me that it's not Mountain Standard Time. I think it's Mountain Daylight Time for anybody else who's keeping track of those sorts of things. I can't believe I remember to change that. But anyway, shout out to uh, Jackson Little, the time zone nerd who sent me that. Thanks, Jackson. Anyway, on today's show is uh, Barbara Zangirl, Austrian climber. I ran into her in Cornadea this winter and then uh, again in Salt Lake City where we sat down and got this interview. Very exciting. Totally amazing climber, one of these European badasses that are relatively unknown in the U.S. But anyway, she's pretty rad. We'll talk about her in just a minute. In Enormacast News, trade show's coming up, headed to that. Got a bunch of cool interviews lined up, as usual, staying at the roadway, trying to set them up and knock them down. But I uh, look forward to a bunch of stuff I'm going to get up there. A little bit of a trip report from old Lander. First of all, I want to say thanks and a hearty hello 
to all the folks who I ended up chatting with up there in Lander at the bar, yelling over the bands and the DJ or out at the park or anywhere else. Certainly not at the cliff because I didn't end up at the cliff. This was my first Lander Climbing Fest where I didn't actually climb anything whatsoever. Just didn't work out. Some of the team went climbing. I believe Steve got a ton of pitches in and Simon got one pitch in for posterity. But we did a whole bunch of other cool stuff. The Lander Bar, as usual, came through big for the festival. Two bands and a DJ, three nights. Pretty awesome. Good times there. I think uh, I talked myself hoarse about the Enorma cast at those things. And uh, played a little volleyball in the park, hung out, went to the water slide, the big granite water slide up above sinks, which was a lot of fun. Great festival as usual, and uh, we had a slightly bigger crew this year coming up from Carbondale. Ben Yardley from Rock and Ice Magazine came along, as well as Liz Haas, the current intern over there. And uh, HK was up there, Hayden Kennedy. So yeah, Carbondale was representing pretty hardcore at the Lander Climber Fest. I want to thank Mandy Fable for uh, having us up there and putting on another great Climbers Fest. I know it was not her job alone, but she's the figurehead. So thanks again, Mandy. Good times. See you all next year. Okay, on to the interview with Barbara Zangro. Barbara Zangro is an Austrian climber, a.k.a. Babsy, which is a very cute name for a very badass woman. She started out as a boulderer gone on to become a very strong sport climber, but then moved into the uh, big routes, completing a bunch of very hard, very scary, very difficult routes in the Alps, in the Dolomites, all over Europe. Friends with Nina Caprez, who I interviewed a little while ago, and also some of the same pedigree as Nina, including they started climbing on the Silbergeier together and uh, completed it separately at different times. But yeah, big scary roots are not a problem for Babsy, which is hard to figure out because she's a very sweet, very down-to-earth, very humble woman. And it was a great joy to sit down and talk with her. Another accented show. Yes, it's been a very continental year for the Enorma cast. So anyway, let's get to it. The conversation with Babsy Zango. Hey folks, Sportiva is a proud sponsor of the Enorma Cast. And as many of you know, I've worn several models of Sportiva climbing shoes for years. And frankly, if I had to, I'd probably trade my firstborn for a pair of Miras. But I mean, he's only a 25 pound baby and like, you know, it'd be easy to cinch him in the backpack. I'm sure it'll be fine. But this month we are highlighting the new Genius, a shoe so haughty that it accuses chestnuts of being lazy. The Genius features the next-gen no-edge technology, so they come right out of the box ready to smear those non-existent dimples and divots on hard boulder problems to steep, techie sport climbs. And it turns out that a comfy fit does not mean performance loss with the Genius. So if you're ready to up your wax-on, wax-off from above average to Genius, go to Sportiva.com or your nearest climbing retailer to check them out, along with Sportiva's full line of mountain boots, trail running shoes, approach shoes, and climbing shoes. Okay, so you're sounding good. Um, 
think I've got you. I think we're recording. I think this is everything. So, so this is part two of the uh, the Hyatt Park Regency Chronicles. I'm here at the Black Diamond Rock Project in Salt Lake City. I'm at the Hyatt, which is a much higher grade hotel than I normally stay at. And um, I'm here with Barbara Zangrel. How is that for pronunciation of the last name? <laughs> a little bit different. Okay. Normally it's Zangel, but it's impossible Zangel. to say it. Zangel. Okay. When you are from the U.S. <laughs> right. We used to call Zangirl, um, which is actually kind of cool. That's not bad. Uh, Babsy, is that what you go by there too, or is that something you've told all us Americans? Yeah, it's, it's similar. Babsy. Okay, cool. So welcome to the Hyatt. Thanks for coming. Yeah. How's your weekend going? Thanks for inviting me. Um, my weekend or my last week was really busy here, but it was also really cool to climb here around Salt Lake City. We went to Little Cottonwood to pull, go bouldering there and also to Bob Dyer Cave. So I saw a lot of cool places and yeah, I like to, to be here. Nice. Well, mm -hmm. welcome to the U.S. You've been here before though, a couple yes. times. Yeah. Where else yeah. have you climbed in the States? Um, I have been to Red River Gorge. This was my first time in the U.S. And I was two times in Indian Creek. Okay. Before. Awesome. That's it. And have you, you've never been to Yosemite? Ah, sorry. Sorry, I forgot that. <laughs> it's true. I was in Yosemite and that was my first time. It okay. is uh, five years ago. Mm -hmm. I was to, there together with uh, Hans Gauer. Okay, cool. And it was my first crack climbing experience and my first big wall experience. So. How was that? Yeah, it was crazy. I thought it's much easier to climb a crack, but yeah, it was super hard for me. Yeah, <laughs> hard mean, to learning it and painful. You mean painful. you thought beforehand it was much? It would be much easier to climb a crack, and then you found out it was harder. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought it's easier. You, you know the grade of a crack, and the grade is it's not really hard when you hear about five nine or five ten. You think it's really easy. But when it's a crack, it's completely different. It's like trying another sport, and for me, it was super hard. Right. Yeah. And when you, you actually went to Indian Creek a couple times, learned to crack climb, mm -hmm. at least, uh, I, you know, it, it's sort of this myth, I think, or I guess it can be true at times that um, Europeans come over, they aren't crack climbers generally, unless they're from a very special place in Europe that has a few cracks. They go to a place like Indian Creek and, you know, people like me who climb down there all the time, you know, we kind of smile because it's like, well, here you go. You know, you're a 514 climber in Europe, but... <laughs> no chance to climb an easy character. But I always say it's a little bit of a myth because plenty of European climbers after... I always joke, I say after like five minutes, they kind of start to get it, you know. But it, it, it's still climbing, so a lot of these really good climbers do, you know, after a week or whatever it takes, they start to get it and it starts to become... Natural and you guys, you and uh, um, who who you climb the moonlight with? Uh, with Jacopo. Okay. Yeah. And so you went on to climb a, a team ascent of the moonlight buttress, swapping pitches, not too long after learning how to crack climb. What was the sort of time frame in that? Uh, yeah, I went to Yosemite before and once to Indian Creek, and then we went to Zion. But it's different. I think it's easier for a European to climb a finger crack mm -hmm. than to climb a off it. Off right. it is completely no way to climb it. When when you can do layback, it's right. more like face climbing. When you are strong, you can do a layback. But uh, to do a, a off it, 
where you have to jam, this is right. impossible. Right. It's crazy to see because there are a lot of really strong American crack climbers and it looks so easy. And when you try it, yeah, you, I tried the, the first two or three meters and then I was totally done and it, I was not able to climb, right. to, to keep on climbing. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that it applies to a lot of American crack climbers too. I mean, true off with thing on a hard level is a very specialized thing because I mm -hmm. have friends that are very good at it too. Yeah. And and they, it, I've, I've fallen into the same trap of where I see them climb something and I'm like, wow, that, that doesn't look too bad. You know, yeah. they just like, I mean, I know they're better than me, but I, you know, if I just do what I saw them do, I'll be fine. And, and yeah, I'm done like halfway up, like forget it. <laughs> you know, I'm done for the day. Like, this yeah, is it's done. so hard. And yeah. it's a full body workout. Right, right. Yeah. At the beginning, we only climbed three cracks a day and mm -hmm. then we were totally tired. Right, right. Had to rest. Well, it's cool though. I mean, because I think it is true that, that when, when climbers who don't climb cracks come over and do it, they they have to have an attitude change in in terms of the grades because like you said you know i mean if you're sport climbing in, in europe or anywhere else a 511 is you know yeah it's it's easy it's but you can't go problem. on the grade when you are here right. it's not about the grade mm -hmm. it's just about the size of the of the crack yeah i think though some people still get hung up on the grade and mm. they and they they kind of have a bad time because they they feel like after this amount of time, I should be, I should be climbing this level, you know. Yeah. And and the people I've seen, Europeans, and I have a very good friend from Spain who climbs in in Indian Creek with me a lot, and he brought the right attitude of like, well, I'll just keep trying and and get better, and mm -hmm. I have to go back to the beginning. Yeah, and I think this is the best thing in climbing to learn something new, and the the first steps you are getting really fast better mm -hmm. and this is the interesting thing yeah, it's for fun. me and also when you are a really good climber and you go together with other really good face climbers and then yeah it doesn't matter how hard you climb you have to start on the same level and sure. this is super funny yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah well that's cool like i said that's the right attitude and and it i mean it it paid off because i know you can lay back a lot of of moonlight butchers but you have to be able to crack climb well mm. nevertheless you know to climb that thing it's not easy no, no, so. it's sure not easy. Yeah, well, there's no off with on it, but but uh, that's <laughs> yeah, fine. Luckily. That's why it's so good. Um, well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about. Um, I, I interviewed some friends of yours who are Austrian as well. Um, mm -hmm. Not too long ago, I put it out. Um, Anna Starr and uh, Killian Fischhuber. I just interviewed a, a German climber, um, and I know Austria and Germany are different places, but completely you know, different places. They're, they're they're the Germanic people. <laughs> they speak a similar language you know they're like they're like us and the canadians right mm. and i feel like it's you know, not even a similar language it's a completely is it <laughs> see this is what this is yeah. what i'm talking about i don't know these things when so i speak I normal austrian german i think daniel uh for example wouldn't mm -hmm. understand me okay yeah it's a a deep valley dialect okay <laughs> so see, this is this is what I want you to do. I want you to educate me right now, mm. because you know, Americans. I think overall we're 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 somewhat infamous for not having a lot of knowledge of the greater world. I think that's an accusation I've heard from from Europeans and things like we don't know what's going on out there. Us climbers who travel, we feel like we do, but 
I can't keep up with every language and who's speaking what and all and everything. Yeah, else. it so sounds similar for sure. It does mm -hmm. certainly, you know. So, but w what I was getting at is that like I don't, you know, I did an okay job with those interviews, but I just don't feel like I feel like I'm missing something about to use a word. I believe it's German actually. Is it Zeitgeist? Do you know this Zeitgeist? Word? Yeah. Yes, I know. I, I'm missing something from from it all. Like mm -hmm. I haven't quite crossed over and connected really well. So this may be a hard question to answer because it's so broad, but what do I need to know about Austrians to to like to understand like the way you guys think? Is there anything like, you know, you, we, we talk about Americans like we're rather uh, as a group, we're sort of boisterous. We, you know, I think we're kind of friendly and, and, and open. But I think that's one of our things, and, and we, we, you know, we're sort of known to be a little bit boastful about our, you know, great Americanness, <laughs> and um, you know, we're, we're and, and in a lot of ways, in a negative sense, we're seen as a little bit pushy. I think when we're sort of traveling in other countries, at least like typical American tourists. Um, so there's kind of a feel to an American. Like, what do I need to know about Austrians? Are you guys? generally quieter are you reserved yeah, are you I, outgoing yeah. what, what am i missing here? i think we are more reserved mm -hmm. and it's not so easy to find friends in austria but i think uh yeah for sure it's easier in america but i don't know if they are r real friends okay they are super friendly from beginning on and the austrians are more closed mm -hmm. and yeah it's harder to to get uh, to start or to, when you travel to Austria it's not not easy to find people to go climbing with mm -hmm. because they are not so open than in, in the US I think right yeah maybe that's my trouble that's your trouble I'm like waiting for them to, to give me a big old American hug <laughs> it's yeah. just not gonna happen no not not really <laughs> not really I think um, when you do that uh, the climbers are mm -hmm. different I think sure. it's easier um yeah, you are on the, the same wave when mm -hmm. you are also a climber, then it's easier to go climbing together and yeah, when you are together for, for one day then it then it's the same. But okay. the start the start is the different. start is a little yeah. bit harder. Yeah. Okay. That's true. That that's kind of the feel I've gotten and actually with like Anna and, and Killian again like having been world travelers, like they felt, you know, like they were ready to Okay, this this guy's American. Like, we're gonna we're gonna open up to him a little bit because that's probably yeah. what he's expecting. And, and in a lot of ways, with, with you as well, um, I sort of I did the very American thing when you, when I met you in Spain. Uh -huh. I'm like, hey, I know some friends of yours. Yeah, when but we I think the, the Austrian and also the Germans like that when it's not too much. Sometimes it's too much when everybody is saying. How are you doing? How are you doing? Mm -hmm. I'm good. And how are you doing? I'm good. It's it's always the same, and it's not for me. It's not um, it's not real sure. anymore because everybody is saying mm -hmm. that all the time. Sure. But I think we really like it when somebody is open, mm -hmm. and it's good when yeah. And it's also it's open up yourself and somebody sure. is open to you. It depends. It depends on the valley. It depends on the on the people from from the land or from the city. Mm -hmm. It's different, I think. Are the people from the land? They are more closed, yeah. and the people from the cities are more open. Yeah, that's I think because there are a lot 
of more different people and also different languages, and they are more open. And when you go, for example, when you go climbing, um, you have a lot of small sport climbing cracks, and there are a lot of farmers, and they often don't want um, that the climbers are there. Sure. Because, yeah. Because they just don't. Th it's, it's the their same here. own place. Right. And, yeah. And what you're doing is weird. And when and you are yeah. not from this place, and when you don't talk the same, uh, when you don't speak the same language, then it can be a real problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's the same everywhere. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of a culture class because clash because the farmers or the ranchers or whoever it is is they're they don't get what we're even doing and why we would do that. Like mm -hmm. why we're not home working. I guess is what they think we should be doing. I don't know. Yeah, Do you know what I, I think mean? so. <laughs> the lazy guys who are yeah, yeah, always yeah, just fucking going off out the cliffs and the whole hanging time. around right. and <laughs> doing this like stupid thing that yeah, doesn't yeah. get any. Nobody can understand. Right, this. right. Yeah, so. yeah, that's that's cool that that crosses cultures because I think that's the same everywhere: Australia, New Zealand, here. You know, just people scratching their heads. You're gonna go do what? Where? Mm. You know. So, well, cool. That that's helpful to me. Um, so thanks, because sure. you know I'm trying to learn. Trying to learn about the world to these things, so. But let's move on to you and your, your climbing. You're you're here because um, you're here for the athlete summit with Black Diamond, so um, yeah. some level of professional climber. And you grew up well. Where did you grow up in Austria? I grew up in Tirol. Okay. Um, so in the, the mountains. Re the like region is called Arlberg. Yeah, mm -hmm. in the mountains. Right. Directly in the mountains, in a, in a little village which is called Strengen. It's a one horse town, only a few people living there. And uh, after school, I started to work in a hospital okay. and I moved to Pludenz. It's only one hour away from where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So you grew up basically directly in the mountains? Yeah. I mean, Tyrol, Tyrol. Yeah. For example, when it was winter, I could start with keys in next hour. Our door. Okay. Next to our house. Yeah. Just go out on skis. Yeah. Right. And you grew up skiing. Yeah. That's okay. true. Yeah. Everybody there right. grew up skiing. I mean, when you're talking about it, I'm like envisioning uh, like a postcard village. <laughs> Is this what we're talking about? Like in the mountains and. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's like that. Yeah. Cows with bells and the a whole lot thing. of space between every house and yeah, directly in the mountains. You have to. When you want to go cycling there, or when you want to go for a for a run there, it's um, it's not easy because it's always steep. Right. And <laughs> yeah, it's different. It's it's right up to the mountain. Yeah. So, what did your parents do, like for a living? What did you? What were you guys up to in this little tiny village? Um, my father. Um, I don't know how is it called in English. <laughs> Uh, he he worked with met with metal, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Kind of this, and my mother worked in a shop. Okay. But uh, with twenty, she got her first child. Uh, I have two sisters and two brothers. Okay. Yeah. So we are Where a do big you fit family. in the in the age in the middle? Range. Oh, you're right in the middle. I have two okay. older brothers, and uh, one older sister and one younger sister. Right. Yeah. How did climbing come into your life? And then I, I guess the question is, because when we think of Tyrol or Tyrol, you, you, we call it Tyrol, Tyrol. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we think of big mountain climbing. I mean, Messner is from some part of 
Tyrol, isn't he? Reinhold Messner. Yes, Austria. But on the, on the he's it's Italian, uh, isn't Italian. Yeah. yeah, but it's the same region. Yeah, it's wise. kind of yeah. the same region. That's true. Yeah, so he's in Italian Tyrol. Mm-hmm. You're on the other side. Yeah. You know, we imagine you being a big mountain climber coming from this range. So, how did climbing come into your life? And then, you know, where? How did it become a rock climbing thing? When I was a child, uh, a lot of times I went up to the mountains with my family. This was normal, and we also started skiing really early when I was three years old. So the outdoor life in the mountains, that was normal for us. And and I started climbing when my brother took me to the climbing gym. I started in the gym, in the, gym the first time, together with my sister. And there I met um, Bernd Zangal, no relation to Bernd Zangal, and uh, Dietmar Siegel, and they uh, brought us first time outdoors to the rock okay. and we started with bouldering in Ticino in Switzerland mm-hmm. yeah and for us it was really cool to to stay away from home to make a short weekend trips and there was a a little scene a little cli- climbing scene yeah we we went uh climbing nearly every weekend okay and, and so who who did you say you met Ben Zangel uh-huh and these these people were adults, like o- older than you. Yeah, okay. ten years older than me. Okay, yeah. sure. So I mean, because that, that's really cool. Because I, I hear that story a lot. You know, where uh, some older climbers, you know, start mm-hmm. taking kids away from, you know, who get to be out in the mountains and away from their parents for the first time. Yeah. And like, kind of introduced to this like adult life in a in a way that. You know, their parents was ne- were never going to introduce them to it. Yeah, so, that's true. That's is that kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, they, yeah, totally. They saw yeah. little Babs- par- Babsy was yeah. super psyched, and yeah, and, and my parents to take her climbing. never climbed. Okay, so they they couldn't really understand this because for, for them it was only very dangerous, and, right? And they they could understand that that we went bouldering because that was kind of more safe, mm-hmm. and this was also the reason why. They let us go okay. every weekend. But for us, it was cool to see something new. We tried a lot of sports before, like playing football or skiing. And we we were in a skiing club. Mm-hmm. And it was it was hard, uh, a hard kind of training with skiing. We have to go skiing on every day in our holidays. And it was at this time, it was really too much for us. And we uh, didn't want to keep on skiing because... It, it was not f- not fun anymore. Sure, so this, yeah. This was also a reason um, we tried something new. And climbing was completely different because it was more like hanging out with friends and having fun. And not only the climbing thing was in the in the middle point, it was also the the travel to another place, mm-hmm. seeing a new place and, and hanging out and having fun, trying different moves. That's so how it. old are you at this time, about... I'm 26. No, no. I mean, when, when, when this I started, is happening, when like I when you when you're when I, you're going on these trips and and uh, these you know these older climbers who are way more experienced and are bringing I, you and what your sister and brother like uh-huh. the three of you. No, no. My brother was more at this time. My brother was more into alpine climbing. Okay. He just brought us to the climbing gym, and then when we met Bernd and Dietmar, they were um, only boulders. Right. So uh, then we got more into bouldering. Okay. And this was the more funny way to do climbing for us at this time. I was uh, 14 years old. Okay. 
Yeah. yeah so. When I climbed the first time outdoors. Yeah. So, I mean, we were just in the, in the gym. Uh, you were teaching some clinics today. Mm -hmm. And, like, I, I, we don't have a good climbing gym close to us, so I don't end up in climbing in, a, um, like, a full public gym very often. Mm -hmm. And it was so fun to see the, the little kids, and especially because I was over where Paige was working. And uh, she had these like the, these two or three little girls that like were just worshiping her for one thing, yeah. which they should. And but they were just like so psyched, it's like super skinny little girls, mm. just like yeah, just like scrambling up the wall like monkeys, you know, just like so into it. Was that like basically what we're talking yeah, about? From, yeah, from from the beginning on, yeah. we went regularly climbing. For us, it was the best thing we we ever tried. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we. I mean, because you're not like really big right now. So I, I imagine like Babsy as a 14-year-old was like one of those little girls just like, yeah, like Yeah, we were super psyched. Yeah, that, right. that's true. And also we are, um, also my sister and my brother still are still climbing. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was. And from beginning on, we, we did it regularly. Uh, regularly. When I climbed the first time, um, then I went from beginning on three times or four times a week to right. the gym and also outdoors. And yeah, when... It was kind of a, a, a impressive experience when I went the first time outdoors. It was completely different, and yeah, this was much better than in the gym. And yeah, then we tried to climb only uh, indoors when it was raining mm -hmm. or when it was winter, and we were outdoors all the time, right. just um, driving to different bouldering areas around Austria. Okay. And being as much as possible outdoors. Right. Yeah. So what did the um, what did the transition into rope climbing and start to look like? And I mean, it eventually brings you to, if not big mountain climbing, you started climbing big routes eventually. Yeah. So let, tell me a little bit about maybe the evolution between this little tiny girl going bouldering and just having fun in the rocks to getting a little more serious about uh, rope climbing and then uh, bigger route climbing. Yeah. At the beginning, I was only focused for bouldering, and I was not interested interested to climb with rope or to to climb bigger walls, because we had a bouldering scene, and this was the reason everybody was motivated for bouldering. So the they all were psyched just for bouldering, and this was the reason why I did only bouldering. After six years of a lot of bouldering and a lot of traveling, also. Traveling around uh, Switzerland or South Africa, um, French, Italy, I saw a lot of bouldering places, and it was um, it changed a little bit because I, I knew a lot of places and it was getting always the same to mm -hmm. travel to the same areas again and and but this was not the reason why I changed changed uh, the reason was um, I got a, a bad injury a bad okay. uh, back injury because of trying high balls, jumping off uh, from high. And, and yeah, at this time, that was really hard because bouldering was super important for me. It was the middle point of my life at this time. Can, can I ask you a question? I want to interrupt because I, I don't want to leave something behind you just said. So you're, you know, in your teens, late teens, and traveling to these other big countries. I mean, traveling far away. So what was, I mean, you said your parents were originally a little worried about you, you know, just hurting yourself climbing. Mm. How was it to say, you know, I'm leaving for South Africa 
or I'm leaving for this place, or I'm leaving for this place. Was there a point at which they were just like, oh, yeah, that's what Babsy's it, doing? Like, n- yeah, but they couldn't do anything. We were so focused to go. Right. And, yeah, for them it was impossible to, to keep us at home. <laughs> they tried, but it was impossible. <laughs> what did they do? <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they told us often, yeah, just do something normal, uh, go with your friends shopping or to the cinema and then do always the, the bouldering thing, look at your hands mm-hmm. or look at your toes, they are different. And All right. Yeah, it was kind of, kind of that. And yeah, but they couldn't do anything. Hopefully, they've, we they've come around by now. Yeah, sure. Okay, sure. good. Yeah, it was only at the beginning. Okay, so let me go back then because I interrupted. So you injured yourself, or you you started to have some some problems with your back. Yeah, and I it sort I, of started to make bouldering seem like maybe it was um, it wasn't going to be sustainable. No, I I had a broken discus. Okay. And uh, this was a really bad injury for bouldering. I tried to go back to bouldering all the time. The first time, at uh, the first year of the injury, I always rested for two weeks, and then I tried bouldering again, and I got the inflammation again. And it was one year always like that, but I didn't want to stop it. And after one year of troubles, I had to face it and yeah, just stop it for a long time. And this was the reason why I started rope climbing. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, at the beginning only for therapy, just climbing easy route, routes. And then, uh, yeah, I found out that we have a lot of cool uh, cracks around my home. Okay. I never climbed really before and the cracks were just 10, 10 minutes away or something. And for me, it was, uh, I, I got so motivated to climb at these places and, uh, and also uh, to do something different because for me it was super hard. I, I was kind of, I was good in bouldering, but I had no endurance at this time. So uh, climbing 10 meters was okay, but also when when it was easy after 10 minutes on big chucks, I got totally pumped. But, but right. to learning something new and uh, to trying hard, this was, yeah, this yeah, it was super for my motivation to do something. So different. when you said that finally you stopped trying to climb on this on this injury, um, and you, was there somebody or something that like convinced you finally, or did you just one morning wake up and say, "All right, I got to stop climbing for a little while and make my back better"? I mean, how how did that? You just kind of passed over that. Was there any sort of... Yeah, it was annoying me. I tried everything to uh, recover this injury, mm-hmm. but I wanted to go bouldering. And I said to me, okay, at the beginning, yeah, it's not so bad. I rest for one month and then I start again. And I tried this and it didn't work. And then I thought, okay, then I will rest for two months and then I start again. And that also didn't work. So I had no chance. It was not uh, possible to go back to bouldering at mm-hmm. this time. So mm-hmm. I had to change something and I didn't want to stop climbing. So right. it was the only chan- okay. chance to keep on climbing. Cool. Yeah. All right. So th- that's, you know, I, it's funny because I, I've actually heard that story a number of times from different mm-hmm. people, you know, <laughs> because there's, yeah, because if you change it, if it's a t- certain types of injury, yeah, if you change the style of climbing, it's not quite so bad. And I guess with the with the uh, disc, I mean, just impacting, falling off even from a short distance is becomes really problematic. Yeah, and it impacting is. the pads yeah. even. Yeah, when you have this injury, right. and then it's no matter if you fall from one meter or for three meters, it's the same. Okay, yeah. so if you're looking at rope climbing as this therapy, talk about it becoming 
you know, something that was more important to you um, as time went by? I, yeah, for, for me, it, it was something completely different. And at the beginning, the, f the first year, I saw it o only for therapy. But after, uh, I didn't want to go back to bouldering because uh, the, ba the playground was much bigger to climb routes. Mm -hmm. I, I knew I don't have to travel so much because we we have a lot of cool uh, rock climbing places around my home and yeah it was it was a different challenge for me and yeah i also bouldered a lot in rock climbing because you you need to boulder mm -hmm. because when you try a harder route you have to boulder or figure out the, the single sequences and it's it's still like bouldering mm -hmm. i got more into this and and bouldering was for me the, the motivation at the end, in the last years when I went bouldering, the motivation was not so high anymore because I did bouldering for a really long time sure. and it was time to change. I need this injury to change for sure, otherwise mm -hmm. I would not change uh, into rope climbing. But at the end it was, it, was really good for, it was really good for me to try something new, otherwise I, I would have lost a lot of motivation. Did you community. did it introduce you to uh, like a new community as well? I mean, you know, I I know it's That's these true, days yes. it's not super divided, but you know, the hardcore boulders sometimes rope climb, and the hardcore rope climbers sometimes boulder. But you know, they they can be different communities. So yeah, did you get introduced to new people. That's completely true. Yeah. Right. In the past, I did a lot with band and and Didi, and also with my sister. And when I started rope climbing. I uh, went climbing with different people. Mm -hmm. That's true. Right. Yeah. One of the things that pops out on your resume, and I'm always interested in this, is that you ended up starting to climb bigger routes eventually. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, that that is, I mean, it's in some ways a natural transition, you know, bouldering, then rope climbing, and then like, well, what about these bigger routes? Yeah. But it, it definitely, you know, it narrows or people that go through the complete transition to that are kind of rare. And you actually ended up starting to climb even big, long, and sometimes dangerous or scary routes mm -hmm. as well. So, you know, as you're coming up and you're feeling like, okay, rope climbing is my thing now and I'm burnt out on bouldering, what starts to make you look higher and higher away from maybe one pitch climbing and sport climbing? Or did that happen immediately um, to doing big routes in the mountains uh -huh. and things like that? From the step from bouldering into rope climbing, I needed this injury. Otherwise, I would, I, yeah, I would have bouldered for 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 longer for sure. And maybe but it would have like slowly, yeah, yeah, lost motivation. motivation that's, right, that, so. that's true. But after I knew, okay, I got much more motivation to try something different and to challenge me in a different way. And then it's wor it was a normal step to try also longer routes. I, I like all the aspects of, of climbing. When you climb a route, a sport climbing, you don't have to think about falling because it's always safe. You have a bolt. You just uh, can make a, a big fall or something, but it's not too bad. You, I wish you, I could do that. You, you can't I wish I could yourself. not think about falling even on a sport route, but I think myself and a lot of people out there, I still, I don't know what it is, but I still can't. I still think about it. So Yeah, but it's good. I yeah. like this. It's yeah. not only climbing when you go bouldering, it's yeah. only the hard moves, only the maximum power. And and when I went bouldering I was I'm a kind of a disturbed person. I can try I, I was able to try one move 
the whole day or two moves and I was happy about it. You're and disturbed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's really, really funny. That's a funny that's the right English word, but it it sounded funny, so okay. it's like disturbed. Yeah, it's not yeah, the right just word. like oh god, there's Babsy still on that. It's getting dark. Yeah, sweetie. It's, it's, it's time it was, to come home. It was like this when we went to a bouldering area. Um, the other the guys were much stronger than me, and we went warming up. And then I couldn't do the warm up, and then I was sitting the whole day at the warming up boulder to try these three moves of the yeah, that's happening but I was happy point. about right. it oh, okay, I good. was really happy about it I'm usually upset by it <laughs> <laughs> no I was happy about cool. it and yeah then it was for me super cool to try something longer to get pumped and to yeah and to the change uh, from sport climbing into rope climbing uh, into sorry into multi-pitch climbing it, it was a bigger thing because I was scared and I knew I have to handle more different aspects uh, the mental challenge and also you have to you are tired maybe on the fifth pitch and but you have to keep on climbing hard mm-hmm. and you stay in the wall the whole day you have a long approach maybe all the things uh, make a bigger adventure for me sure and this was very exciting to try and this was uh, the reason why I really wanted to try this well it's cool because <laughs> in a lot of ways like that's the like I said in the beginning that's the legacy of where you grew up you mm. know is this are big climbs and and if not big mountains but still you know going into the mountains mm. and I think that at least generationally you know bouldering is very well accepted now but initially when it when it was a thing when it was something when it first became something that certain climbers only did bouldering I think there was a lot of of the older climbers or the big root climbers or the mountain climbers kind of, you know, I think a lot of them still do. Like, well, why are you wasting your time on these little tiny rocks when there's all these yeah. these big mountains around? Kind of so understand. to have you go through both, I mean, and come back around to climbing big roots, like I said, it's kind of more of a legacy of your sort of climbing region is is climbing big roots. And I talked to uh, Nina Caprez about climbing in the Radicon and she lived right there. Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of, Climbing, when you said there was areas closer to you, uh, what kind of climbing is close to you where you were growing up? Also, also the Retikon is close to me. Oh, okay. This is the place where I started um, multi-pitch climbing. Mm-hmm. And the places where are close to my home is also Ötztal or Zillertal for sport climbing. These are really cool places. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, also the Dolomites are not far away. Sure. Yeah. All right, so let, let's talk about that. I wanted to clue into one thing you just said about realizing that as you moved into that you were actually afraid all of a sudden to to or had some fear about climbing bigger routes yeah sure so a nor you know the the funny thing about climbing especially when you get into big route climbing is that you know most of the population the people out in the world when they would get scared that's a a signal that's a a a motivation to not do something right fear is fear is supposed to be this survival skill that says, okay, move away from this situation to survive. And yet climbers are constantly embracing it in a yeah. way. And so t- tell me about that. So you're a climber, you're perfectly happy, happy bouldering, and then you're perfectly happy sport climbing, and you start sort of raising your eyes to these big roots. How do you then just say, well, I'm scared, but I'm going to do it anyway? At the beginning, I was not sure about it because I was really scared about 
really long runners in, in, in Retikon. Um, there is a really technical climbing style on slaps sure. and with long runouts. And you know, when you fall on a slap with a long runout, it's always painful. But uh, for me, it was also to, to handle, to keep on concentrated on climbing uh, while you are feeling scared. This was a really interesting thing for me. And at the beginning, I also have to um, jump into the rope just a little above the pole, and then I climbed up higher and jumped into the rope to get more used to used to that. But I I really like it to to feel scared. Sometimes at the beginning, something uh, feels impossible to you because you are too scared and you can't imagine to do uh, to do this. But yeah, after after time and when you try out all the moves, it it get clo- it get closer, mm-hmm. and at the end it's possible. Right. This is a um, very interesting thing for me in climbing. With your bouldering background, um, it's pretty well known on people listening to the show that that's my weakest discipline um, besides ice climbing. But that's a whole other story. But yet I you know I boulder a lot anyway. Um, I'm just not that good at it. But the one thing I always feel like that's kind of cool that you do take away from bouldering is that the moves, the single moves or the single sequences can be so difficult. And a lot of times on a longer route, whether it's multi-pitch or a sport route, you come across, you know, the crux and taken for itself, you kind of say to yourself, well, if this was a boulder problem, it's like it wouldn't even be that hard. And yet here, here I arrive at it tired or whatever. Is that for you something that you used? I mean, you had such this great strength in bouldering and, and to start rock climbing, were you able to really draw on that, not just physically because you were strong from bouldering, but mentally? Is that a game you could play up high when you came across the crux like, oh, I'm just going to take this as a boulder problem? Yeah, and sure, it's like this. And if it was a boulder problem, it wouldn't even be that big a deal. Yeah, I, I did it similar to bouldering. I just bouldered and figured out the moves of the single heart sequence. It's the same like bouldering. And then, you know, you are tired there. So I, I was sure I have to try it more often to get to do it more easily. Mm-hmm. And then I was also able to do it when I'm tired. Okay. This was the thing, how I worked on this multiple routes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, let me further that line of questioning to say, because um, I'm curious, I, I, I've climbed, you know, I can climb sort of scary things, but, you know, I think about like, uh, what is it, the Silver Geyer and mm-hmm. like that kind of very small hold climbing very far away from your protection, like it makes my palms sweat a little bit and I'm attracted to it as well. Are you able to use that mental technique even far away from your bolt, like this is just a bowler problem, I just need to make this one move? I mean, or what? Are there anything you can point to? to no, I think it's games? just you want to do it. When you start to try mm-hmm. a route like Silbergeier, uh, finally you want to do the route. The route is so beautiful, and every pitch is so uh, special and and really cool mm-hmm. to climb. And it's hard to. For me, it's really important to start ground up. Okay. And it's it's an adventure to climb from one pole to another because mm-hmm. it's. The poles are far away, and sometimes you have to climb through a hard passage. And af- after a few meters, you can clip the next bolt. And at the beginning, I remember we, we tried the first pitch, mm-hmm. and we couldn't reach the first belay because we couldn't climb uh, from 
the last pole to the chain, it was impossible. And this was with Nina. Yeah, and we always had to figure out uh, the single sequence, but you always have to climb in this hard passage, and then you have to be fast to find a solution for it. And when you don't find it fast, then you fall again. And this is super tiring. And yeah, but th this is a good way to do a route like this. Mm -hmm. I like when it's long pole, pole it's more, it's more exciting. Because otherwise, when you go sport climbing, you can also hold on a quick draw right. and figure the, the sequence out in top rope. And mm -hmm. then it's much more easy. Mm -hmm. But it's more adventure when it's long bolted and when you have to think about, okay, sure. how should I do this? Yeah. Can you tell me about this, um, this thing that you're calling the Alpine Trilogy? I talked to Nina a bunch about Silbergeier and I, because I don't know when, but years ago, you know, I saw pictures of it or read about it, and it really captured my imagination and the Radicon in general. And I've never climbed there, and I, someday I will. And I had the pleasure of, of, of meeting uh, Bayat in Indian Creek, actually. Um, mm -hmm. And he's a big proponent of that yeah. zone. And uh, so can you tell me about this Alpine Trilogy? Because it's, a, it's, it's um, I mean, it sounds like it, it was sort of a culmination of trying to use all these skills uh, to get something done. Mm -hmm. It's all about these three routes. Uh, mm -hmm. It's Silbergeier and Retikon. Uh, this route was opened by Bert Kammerlander. Mm -hmm. And the route uh, in Berchtesgaden in Germany uh, from Thomas Huber, End of Silence. And the last one from Stefan Glowacz. The route is called Kaiser's Neue Kleider. And all three routes were opened in 1994. And at this time it was a kind of mythos about these three routes because it were the hardest of the Alps at, the, at this time. Mm -hmm. And yeah. those guys, I mean, we're, you're talking about like three names that mm. are of, of the greatest rock climbers of all time. I mean, we're talking about... Yeah, yeah. The, the, big the, names, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. you know. And uh, anyway, so... Yeah, that's true. At this time, Bayard uh, nearly put up all new routes in Retikon in this region where also is Silbergeier and also Stefan Glowacz was one of the most famous climber in the world at yeah, this time and yeah. also Thomas Huber. The yeah. man, yeah, and then yeah, sure. Thomas and, and Alex yeah. are famous in the States because of Yosemite. You know, yeah, yeah, so. yeah, it's true. Let's talk about your motivation. I mean, where, where My motivation, at the beginning, uh, it was not the goal to try the trilogy. It was just the goal. Uh, I met Nina and we were thinking about to try Silbergeier. It was not far away from my home and she grew up at this place. So this was the reason why we tried this, why we tried this route. And we climbed before a lot in this place. Mm -hmm. And um, for sure it's one of the most beautiful routes in Retikon. And we were not sure about it. Um, if we can climb this route, we just wanted to try it. Yeah, at the beginning, uh, at this time in 2011, it was not so popular, this route, and uh, it also had not a lot of a sense. So at the beginning, we just um, had to remove all the ropes from the Via Ferrata at the beginning, and we placed new ropes. And, and then after two days of work with, with this, then we started to climb in, in, in this wall sure. and it felt super hard to us. Even the first pitch we couldn't climb at the first day. So we didn't really know if, if, it's, if it's possible. And yeah. Can I ask you something? Um, you know, I, I don't know if I asked Nina this or not, but was there any sort of 
I mean, it, we'd say in the States, eye-rolling. Um, you know, in terms of some of these badass, older, mostly guy climbers of like, oh, you you know, you guys are going to go try Silbergar. Like, good luck, girls, you know? Mm. Or was there like an acceptance of like, okay, yeah, these girls could no, do it? No, everybody uh, found it cool, I think. Okay, cool. We were trying this. All yeah, right. sure. I mean, yeah. it can go either way. I mean, the, mm. I think in any community you can have both types of people. So yeah, I was just sure. sort of curious. Sure. Of, no, they were happy about it, I think. Mm-hmm. And Beat was super psyched about it. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, we just had a little base camp at the beginning of the of the trail, and we tried this route uh, for um, one week in a row. And then um, at the beginning, it was really hard, but... Uh, after a lot of work in the single pitches, uh, we could do every move. And uh, some sequences of the route uh, uh, were really scary because on the on the fifth pitch, for example, there was a long run out, 12 meters or something. And it was not the hardest part of the route, right. but it was really hard to climb through this part. And we took some really big falls. And... Yeah, after falling a lot of time, we got more used to it, and we were not so scared anymore. So how far are you falling? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, twelve meters is like forty feet. Yeah, but we but never, we never right, felt it. Yeah, never from the top, but we felt for sure ten to fifteen meters. Right, right. Yeah, and also the last pitch was really hard. We because the the last bolt was in a, the last bolt before the crux was in a dihedral, and we. We tried to climb this border and we always felt really badly in this trihedral. And for this speech, we always took a helmet with us and a long sleeve because it was super painful. But yeah, at the end, we knew every move is possible and we could climb every single passage and it was only a time to, to do the whole thing. And yeah, then we tried to um, to prepare us for a ground-up try to figure out the single hard passages again to to climb on the single hard um, passages more easily, and then I got my back injury inflamed again because oh. of a really strange undercling move in the crack speech, and then I was out of the game. And at this time, it was for me it was the I never was so motivated for a route than for Silver Gaia. Mm-hmm. So it was it was really hard to to stop trying Silver Gaia, but yeah, it was cool. I just uh, went with Nina one month after, went with Nina again uh, to this place, and I was there when she made the first female ascent, so I was super happy about it and super inspired. And then I was thinking about to search for a similar route and for a similar adventure, and this was the reason why I, um, why I wanted to try End of Silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's that like? Uh, End of Silence is a similar route, but it's uh, nearly double as long than than Silbergeier, but the same climbing style. And yeah, I teamed up with a good friend of mine. And yeah, I I didn't want to uh, research a lot uh, information about this route because I just wanted to go there and to see how it is. And I knew it is a a sport climbing route route so I only need quick draws and I remember when we went the first day uh, to end of silence it was a really long approach about two and a half hours and then we started climbing and it was more alpine style 
So we only had quick draws and it was super challenging and we struggled a lot. We mentally struggled a lot and we just climbed up to the fifth pitch and then we uh, we turned around, around because it was um, it was too dangerous and we didn't want want to take the risk. So when you say it was Alpine style, like you should have had some gear with yeah. you and, and things yeah. like that. It's, it's easy when you have gear, when you can place camelots, it's easy to climb up the first right. pitches. They are not so hard, but there are only rusty pitons in. Right. And they, yeah, it's not so fun not when, you, when you only have, <laughs> when so you only have quick draws. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the same. The same thing, thing like uh, I did with Nina, just figuring out all the single pictures and also about this route, I was not sure if I ever could climb this 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 route. It was just about the adventure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and we also had a base camp there and it, I tried the route for two months. Yeah. And at the end, yeah, I was happy to climb it. <laughs> right, and you yeah. did the first female ascent, or had it been done before? No, it was the okay. first female ascent. And how mm. many, like, how, I was curious, you said that, like, uh, Silbergeier was not very popular, um, and, and Nina kind of implied that it has become more popular since then. Yeah. And then, I mean, how many ascents were these routes seeing at that time? I mean, would one group do it a year, Would or had there been... At this, I mean, in 2000, your, your guess, you know. In 2011, I think five groups did it uh, or something. I'm not okay. sure about the, the number, but now it's uh, many more. Right, right. Yeah, it's super popular. Right. Everybody wants to climb Silbergeier in Europe. Right. Yeah. So. And well, the whole summer, it's yeah, it's full of it's parties. A, it's weird how that happens, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's just a matter of somebody. I always say, kicks the door open, and then makes everyone realize that oh, I guess. I could do that, you know, mm-hmm. like the 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 um, free rider on El Cap is an example in the States. Like all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. you're a normal person, good climbers, but we used to think only the best or the, the pros could do something like that. Mm-hmm. And then slowly but surely you get this idea like, well, I'm a good climber. I could try, Yeah. you know, so. And I think maybe you guys were part of that, if it sounds like, as if, um, you know, because there was some publicity around this, so maybe it was a part of opening the door to other people scratching their head and saying, yeah, I and you maybe see, I can do yeah, this. Yeah, sure, you see more pictures mm-hmm. and also video about that, and and the wall looks amazing, and sure. this is the reason why the people So what's are the third one, then? Uh, the third one is Kaiser's Neue Kleider. It's uh, in Wilder Kaiser. It's in Austria. And this place is uh, famous for really traditional old style alpine climbing there are a lot of routes where you have protected your, yourself with mo- mobile protection and yeah it's a super nice place and yeah when you have the possibility to climb there it's it's nice to climb the the classic like Pumprisse or Schlemmerisse these routes are amazing to climb and uh, it's real alpine style no mm-hmm. belays just using your own gear okay yeah and the route is, uh, compared to the other two route, routes, Kaisersnack Kleider is completely different. For me, it was the hardest out of these three routes um, because it's more, it's more body power, long moves, it's super steep, and it's not really technical climbing. So it was a completely different thing for me, and it took me longer to complete the whole thing. And, and there was one single pitch at the end, which uh, took me a long time to to resolve the single polar problem. I just tried 
three meters, I think four days, and I didn't find a solution for wow. that. But I climbed and up. How high up is it? Uh, it's this move, this area that you couldn't do. Like how much wall, climbing do you have to get? Do the to wall get is, I think, 250 meters okay. or something, and this pitch is at the end. Right. But I climbed up to this point, and it was a lot of work to climb up to this point, and, and I knew every pitch before is possible, and just these only few three meters are impossible for me. But, yeah, I, yeah, I gave everything to, to, to figure out how mm -hmm. it works. And I found a really strange stemming solution on a really slippery foothold. And I, I could make the single boulder only one time out of five times. And mm -hmm. the risk was high that I'm too tired when I climbed seven hard pitches before. And uh, yeah, I was not sure to be able to, to, be able to climb this, this last hard pitch after, after the, all the pitches before. Sure, mm. but you did. Eventually. Yeah, but uh, today when I sent this route, it was it was like psycho terror <laughs> because I I started really nervous this day, but I I uh, didn't make mistakes and I climbed up to the last hard pitch without falling, and then I arrived at the last pitch and I was uh, really tired, but there is a there was a big ledge and I I could lay down and rest for half an hour and then I started my first try. And I felt after after the first part, I felt into the rope. And then I tried the second time, and it was a little bit better, but not good enough, and I felt another time. And, yeah, it was like I, it took me uh, six tries, and on the seventh go, I did this single pitch, and this was ne before. It was never possible to, to take uh, more than four tries in a hard right. pitch. Also in sport climbing, when I try a hard route, it was only possible to take uh, four tries, and then I'm normally done. I'm normally sure. too tired to try again. But I was so motivated to finish this thing, and I don't know. It was for sure not my body. It was just my mind. I really wanted to do that, and I don't know how, but it, it worked. In, on the seventh go, I, I climbed through this hard passage, and then... I, I finished the whole thing. I don't know how it worked. <laughs> well, you know, that's amazing. And, and we're, we're getting to the end here. But let me ask you a couple questions about that. Because the mental thing, you know, we talk about it in climbing a lot. And I think that a bigger percentage of the world has the, has the motivation to get strong, to exercise mm -hmm. or to train. But I really believe that the, the, the mind or the mental part is what, you know, makes that rare climber at a certain point and yeah, you know sure. thinking about you and th throwing yourself at these roots trying these roots that that you know what, what you kept saying on all of them like well I didn't think I could do it I didn't think I could do it but I, I kept trying it mm -hmm. I mean what does that look like to you like when when you were up there on that that climb on previous attempts and you couldn't even do those moves and you're investing all this time and energy to this route and it starts to creep in that I can't do these moves, like I'm wasting my time or, I mean, does that happen? Do you, is, is, is Babsy down in base camp, like, you know, yeah, dark and angry and upset? Or are you just one of those people who's able to push those doubts out of your brain? And if you are like, well, what kind of game is that for you? I, I, I was thinking to give up because I tried everything, every single way to do this sequence I, I tried before and it was impossible but I knew it was only just these two meters or mm -hmm. three meters and I can do everything but 
not this two or three meters. And mm -hmm. this was the reason why I kept on drying it. And I invested a lot of time. And also this is the reason why I I want to finish something. When you put a lot of work into something and and it 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 feels good. You have good days in the world. It's not only, yeah, it was always a good fun to be together with Jacopo in this wall and to figure out all the the single pitches. And then you reach a point and you are not sure if, if this is possible. Yeah, for me, it, yeah, I, I was thinking about to give up, but it was always like this when I was on the route. I thought, okay, it's impossible. I can't do it do this and I have to stop to try this route and then I was on the ground again and I was thinking at home ah, maybe dreaming about it it was kind of strange because I thought okay maybe I, I didn't try this solution and then I had to go back to try this solution mm -hmm. and when I was directly at this pitch for sure I was thinking no it is, it's no way I can't do it and I, I don't want to I want to give up but when I was at the ground again, it, it was completely different. Sure. I wanted to go back. I don't know why. Right. Yeah. It's just part of your personality, it sounds like. Yeah, it's like I told you from bouldering. Mm -hmm. I sit it on the, uh, next to the boulder the whole day to, to make the warming up boulder. Right. And it's kind of the same in the multi-pitch route. Uh -huh. I'm super psyched to, to figure out these single moves and to complete the whole thing at the end. Well, what are you concentrating on now? Uh, what are you looking at? I mean, not not necessarily giving away your plans, but what's? Uh, I mean, it seems like the things I've been reading or seeing is is a lot to do with really hard sport climbing. Um, but what 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 are you concentrating on these days? Uh, I try to mix it up. Normally okay. in spring I like to go sport climbing. In summer I prefer to go multi pitch climbing, and in autumn I like to go crack climbing or tread climbing. Okay, that's it. Yeah, it's just. Keeping that going. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and you're, you're going to get to go down to the desert here in a week, yes. the next week, for a little while, mm. climb some towers? Yeah, sure. Right. I only climbed a lot of single pitches in mm -hmm. Indian Creek and one tower, so I'm super psyched to climb more towers. Right yeah. on. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, thanks a lot for sitting down and thanks talking too. about that because I'm, I'm always interested when someone is articulate, and I know you have, you're sort of self-conscious about your English, but... <laughs> But, yeah, it's, it, but, your, but it's your thoughts that are important, and mm -hmm. you're, you're getting them out just fine. But um, I love to hear about that because, you know, so many people struggle with the fear in climbing, and, and mm -hmm. whether it's the fear of failing, like you were just talking about just a minute ago, um, of just being like, I'm not going to be able to do this, or the literal fear of, like, falling and hurting mm -hmm. yourself or dying. So whenever I latch on to someone like yourself who who's been there and, and had to deal with that. I'm always ex really excited to talk to you about that. So I appreciate you sitting down, and, and um, I hope you have a great time in the desert next week. Yeah, thanks. It was cool to talk to you. Thanks. All right, folks. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Barbara for sitting down, taking some time out of a very busy couple weeks here in the U.S. to uh, sit down for the Normacast. Very kind. And remember, folks, that the uh, Normacast is nothing without you, the listeners, the people keeping this thing going, new folks, people that have been here the whole time, all contributing, hopefully, a little bit, spreading the words, telling your friends. You can also go to normacast.com, click on the Help Out tab, 
do a few things to uh, increase the reach of the Enorma Cast. You can also donate over there if you care to. But I do appreciate all the support that I've gotten and all the support that hopefully we will continue to get as we, the Royal We, march towards 100. We're almost there, just a few months away. It's really hard to fucking believe, frankly, but I think I'm going to pull it out. Unless I die in a bizarre gardening accident or choke on someone else's vomit between now and then. Or worst of all, spontaneously combust, leaving behind just a small green globule. Chris Galoose, great look, good podcaster. Anyway, that was for you tap fans. All right, folks, hit it. Get out there. Send your project. Summer's waning already. Can you believe that? It's getting darker every day here in the States. Bullshit. As you're going for that evening send, that late good conditions try, and the light is dimming in the sky, don't forget to look down and check your knot. My common sense tells me the Andes is foothills and the Alps is for children to climb.